We do all of this for your glory. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Man, we really can rely on the Lord. We're talking about reliance today and something that I've learned, and I think probably several of you could tell stories about this too, that God is faithful. And when you turn to him for help, you can rely on him. You know, YouTube has figured me out. I am a sucker for stories of animals getting rescued. Uh, so YouTube will just say, hey, Brian, you want to watch this manatee getting freed from fishing line by a person in a boat? Absolutely. <laughs> Show me that video. Um, what I've always wondered, and maybe you've wondered this too, do animals actually know that humans can help them? Do animals intentionally go to people for help? Researchers in Japan took on this question with horses, and they found a surprising answer. They took these horses and uh, showed them that there were carrots hidden in their area, maddeningly out of reach, and then their human helpers came in, the people who care were the caretakers for them. Over and over and over, the research showed, the video actually showed it, the horses would try to get their caretaker's attention. They would nudge them. They would go stand by them. They would stare at where the carrots were saying, hey, a little help here. So apparently, according to research, some animals, at least horses, will go to humans for help. Not every animal will go to a person for help, though. I don't know. There's, yeah, just like people. <laughs> some of us are more apt to ask for help than others. We all find ourselves in situations like this, but... Uh, you know, we're in this series, it's complicated, but it doesn't have to be. We're just looking at relationships of all type. Of course, we're looking at marriages and romantic relationships. We're also considering friendships. We're talking about work relationships, family, your neighbors. Just how can we take these relationships that sometimes get messy, sometimes uh, we don't know what to do next, and figure them out with God's wisdom and God's help? I've really been indebted to the work of Dr. John Van Epp. He wrote a great book called Becoming Better Together. And he is a psychologist. He's done extensive research into what it is that makes a relationship tick. And through the scientific research, he identified and unearthed five components or elements of any healthy relationship. And he created what he calls the relationship attachment model or RAM. We've been going through this. Something you want to know about these is, as we've, we've had a couple of messages already on know and trust, and you can go back and catch those if you miss them. And we welcome all of you who are joining online for this one. These are sequential. These are the elements that come together to form any relationship that works. And first of all, it starts with knowledge. You learn to just who this person is that you're in a friendship or a relationship with. And the more you get to know them, the more you realize, I can trust this person. They're who they present themselves to be. They're honest. They're transparent. They're authentic. They're a good person. So as I trust them, my level of growth and about how much I will rely on you will grow. And then we get to commitment. Then we get to touch. In a marriage, this is where you share the most personal aspects of who you are. You share everything. In a friendship, these are the secrets that you only talk to that one friend about. Or the, maybe in a work environment, these are the trade secrets. We don't just want to blast them out to hold the, wor the whole world. This is how we make money. So you want to respect the sequence of this. These are also, once you get it up to a certain level, they don't just stay there. That's something that I think we sometimes fall into the trap of. Relationships don't maintain themselves. And if you've been in a relationship for any length of time, you've probably run into this, that these tend to fade with time. And so it takes a constant effort to always be raising the knowledge level to the trust, reliance, commitment levels. And and something else you want to know is that it, it is very important not to let these levels get beyond the ones that are before them. For example, it's kind of dangerous and you're headed for a relational catastrophe. If you don't know someone very well, uh, you don't know if you can trust them or not. 
but you, you, intend, you just rely on them, or you commit, or you, you, know, you go straight to physical intimacy where you really don't know this person and if they're worthy of committing your life to. So we've been looking through this, and today we're talking about rely. And we want to go with uh, just building this level in all of our relationships. And you might be thinking, well, it feels like trust and reliance are the same thing. And I understand why you would think that. They're a little bit different in that trust is an attitude that you hold towards someone else in your mind. It's that sense of whether I can believe you or not. Reliance is a little bit different in that that's the actions you take based on how much trust you have. Have you ever had to rely on someone that you didn't know if you could trust? Have you ever had to rely on somebody you just know you can't trust? How many of you have been sitting at school and you know, okay, so I've been here for an hour after school's over. Apparently, it's dad's day to pick me up because I can't trust my dad to remember to pick me up from school, right? You had to rely on somebody you just know. They're just not trustworthy, at least in that area. I had a mechanic many, many years ago. I loved this guy. I, uh, I had a high trust with him because as I got to know him, he fixed so many things on my car that I could not figure out. The guy was so smart, and he was honest, never told me something was wrong with it that wasn't, didn't overcharge me for stuff. But I found, even as I would recommend other people to him, I just couldn't rely on him. You know that thing we can do uh, good, fast, and cheap, pick two? The guy, you just drop your car off. You don't know when you're going to get it back. It, it's an oil change. I might get it today. I might get it tomorrow. The thing that kind of broke the, the straw that broke the camel's back for me was I left my car there for something simple. Two days later, I'm still waiting to hear from him. I finally call and I get through. He's like, oh, yeah, I needed a vacation. I'm down in Florida. I'm not going to get to your car till next week. <laughs> so you can see we're relying on someone and the ability to know that they're reliable and that they can rely on you is important to a relationship. The more committed you are to one another, the more you want to be able to rely on each other. Now, last week we talked about this, and you may remember this if you saw that message. There are two extremes when it comes to trusting someone. It's possible to trust someone too much, well beyond what you know about them, and that's dangerous. Or it's possible to trust someone too little, even after they've shown you that they're a good person, and you still just don't, you're so cynical and jaded from past experiences that you never quite let your guard down. The same thing can happen with reliance. It is possible to be at one of those two extremes with reliance as well. There's to be too reliant on someone else. And we have clinical words for this. This is codependent. This is dysfunction. This is where you have no boundaries. The, you, you are completely at the mercy of the other person for their approval. And you just don't make any decisions without letting them tell you what to do. And that's way too reliant on someone else. And you need to develop your own personhood. But there's another extreme to this. And uh, I, I like what Dr. John Van Epp said. You're in an unsafe relationship when you depend on a partner who's not earned your trust or who's consistently broken your trust. Equally so when you have a partner depend on you for needs much greater than you have the developed trust in him or her. Now, the, the other side of this is where you have a, high, a low reliance even though you have a high trust. And you just won't rely on anybody. And there's some reasons for that. And if I'm saying something that sounds familiar to you, it would be worth your while to talk to somebody about this. Maybe you grew up in a home where the adults in your life were just not reliable. And everything was chaos. Or there were times where things were good and there were other times where things were bad. And so what you have done as a result, whether you know it or not, you have grown up just assuming that if it's to be, it's up to me. That no one's going to help me that I'm all on my own. Uh, if I want it done right, I got to do it myself. You know, just uh, look out for number one. At least I did it my way. There's a little bit of pride in that, but there's some reasons for that. And I think you ought to look at that and say, 
even though I trust the people in my life, do I ever count on them? Do I ever rely on them? Do I ever let them know that I need them? I like something that Lady Gaga said. You may have seen this. It's a famous meme out there. Some women choose to follow men, and some women choose to follow their dreams. If you're wondering which way to go, remember, your career will never wake up and tell you it doesn't love you anymore. Ouch. I understand what she's saying. I also think your career is not going to make you chicken noodle soup when you're sick. So maybe we need to figure this out. It's possible to be way too dependent on other people and you need to work on that. It's possible that you and your life have just decided that you got to do things on your own. But there's a healthy third way. It's the biblical way. It's the way of Jesus. And I want us to look at that today. I want you to see the, the wisdom of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to a very dysfunctional church. If you got a Bible, would you turn to 1 Corinthians and the Apostle Paul wrote a good chunk of what's in the New Testament of your Bible. He was a Christian leader, a church planter. Uh, at one point, was clearly against Christianity. He was actually chasing Christians down to put them in prison and kill them. Had an amazing experience of Jesus and completely turned his life around. And God used him in a great way to help a lot of people come to God. And he's writing this letter to some friends of his in the Corinthian church. And they were just a mess as a church. There was a lot of pride there. There were a lot of people who wanted to do what I'm doing right now. They wanted to be the center of attention. They wanted everybody to look at them. And uh, it was just not healthy. They weren't really relying on each other in the way that God intended a church to. So just listen to these words. And uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we'll go down here and we'll start in verse, oh, let's start in verse 18. And uh, Paul is using an analogy here. He says, our bodies have many parts and God has put each part just where he wants it. He's making a comparison between a relationship, a church, and our human bodies. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but there's only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. And he goes on, he says, you know, there's some parts of our body that seem less important, but we give them the most care. There's parts of our body that we really respect. And he goes down and he finishes up his thought in verse 27. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. This is just what it looks like in any healthy relationship. You've got a part to play, I've got a part to play. And we can never say, well, I really don't need you. I'm really annoyed by that person. If we could just get them out of here, we'd be great. No, all of us together, the weakest, the strongest, the best, the, the not so good, we all together are part of this family, this church, this body. And in your relationships, in your family at home, in the people in your neighborhood, maybe God put you there for a reason. And we need to depend on each other, just like in the human body. I like what... Uh, what he says, this is the same guy, Paul, writing to a different church in Romans chapter 12, if you want to find that. See, the, the idea that he's really presenting here is that God created us to be interdependent with each other. Not independent, not codependent, but interdependent. Let's go over to Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. Paul says here, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, the church. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. Hey, I want you to do something. Will you turn to the person right next to you and say, you need me? This is touching. It's like a Hallmark movie or something. I feel really close to you right now. All right, I want you to turn to the other person on the other side, your second choice, and say, you belong. You do. You belong. 
because Jesus Christ called us all together in this church family. And in your family, you belong and you need each other. We all need each other. This is the way God designed it. And when you fight against the way God designed things, you're going to run into trouble. It's just not going to work the way that it should. When you do things the way God intended them to, you're going to find that things are just so much healthier. There's so much life and so much vitality. You know the, who's a great example of this? It's Jesus himself. Our key verse for this whole series has been out of Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. We're going to have it up here on the screen. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I want to invite you to just read this aloud with me. Right where you're at, if you're watching online, read this out aloud with me. In your relationships with one another, have the same as... I want to tell you something. Jesus was a man who was not afraid to ask for help. Jesus was a guy who would rely on his friends, his family, the people around him. I don't know if you think about Jesus, the 33 years that he lived here on the earth, because you're like, he's God. He doesn't need anything. If he need anything, he just like do a miracle, right? No, Jesus lived the same way you and I did. Classic example. In John chapter 4, he goes into a town he's never been to before, meets a woman he's never met before, and he asks her, can you get me a drink of water? You've got a bucket, there's a well, will you give me something to drink? He asks for help. Let me give you another example. Jesus got in a boat with his disciples and he let them drive. Anybody else have a hard time letting somebody else drive? He let them drive. He went and took a nap in the back of the boat while his guys drove them straight into a deadly storm. And there's another time. He, uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you've ever read the Bible before. In the Gospels, you get this picture of Jesus that may be entirely different than anything you've ever imagined him to be. And I think you should read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just see who he is. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus let women support him financially in his ministry. If you've never heard this before, this is out of Luke chapter 8. Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and the disciples. The guy was not afraid to say, hey, can you guys support what we're doing here? The last week before Jesus was crucified, do you know that he rode into Jerusalem seven days before he died on a borrowed donkey? Uh, He borrowed an upper room to share that last Passover Thursday night with his disciples. It wasn't his house. He just borrowed it. Uh, The night that he was going to be betrayed and arrested, he asked for his closest friends to come to a garden with him and pray with him. When he was walking his cross to the place where he would be executed. Did he make it all the way there with his own cross? No. Another guy had to be pulled out of the crowd to carry the cross for him. I don't know what you think when you think of Jesus, but you need to factor into it. The guy was humble. The guy was not afraid or above asking for help. He relied on the people around him. Now, if God in human form relied on the people around him, who are we to say, I don't need anybody else. I can do this by myself. You're making life so much harder than you have to. And in your marriage relationship, you should be able to depend on each other. In your friendships, you should be able to rely on each other. In your families, you should each know we've got each other's backs. We're here for each other. This is what God created us to be, interdependent. 
dependent on one another in a healthy way. I like what Jonathan Decker said. I think he's a pastor. He said, accepting help from others was not in any way a display of weakness on Jesus' part. He understood that allowing others to serve him provided an opportunity for them both to express love and to express a relationship, just as it did when Jesus served them. Jesus absolutely served people all the time, and he accepted service from them. If this is how God designed us to be in community with each other, I want you to just realize it's okay for you to stick your hand up and ask for help. It's the way God has intended for us to do. Should you send up a prayer? Absolutely. Should you talk to the other people in your life that God's placed around you? Absolutely. This is just the way the life is supposed to be. It's when it functions best. In fact, I'll say it this way. You help yourself also when you help someone else. So even when I'm helping you, I'm helping myself because this is just, there's the, everything that God has created rewards you for being a blessing and receiving a blessing. Sometimes we damage our relationships. And when I think about what it is, I, at the end of the day, I think some of it's just a little bit of pride. I don't want to be the person who has to ask for help. I don't want to be the person who needs other people. I don't want to be needy or seen as if I'm less than. I just want to be able to handle things on my own. Well, I believe in you, and I think you can most of the time. And you can do life by yourself a lot. But there's going to be times when you need to move a piano, and you're going to need some friends. And this is what God's put us together for. And sometimes you forego the blessings of the life that God fully intended for you when you just say, no thanks, I got this. I'm wondering if God's maybe speaking to you to say, you know what, I need to ask for help a little bit more. Maybe God's speaking to you and saying, I need to be somebody that people are willing to ask help from. Maybe I just kind of have that look and that demeanor of just don't bother me. I'm too busy. I got things going on. I tell you, I, I am not above needing this myself. So I've been doing some work down in a utility room or a basement. I was just throwing up some drywall real quick. Nobody's ever going to see it, so I don't really care what it looks like. But I ran out of drywall, and I was about to head to Home Depot to get a few more sheets. And I started thinking, you know the voice in your head? that I never listened to, and I'm always regretting that later. The voice in my head said, you should measure your car first. I'm like, I got, so I'm having this whole conversation. I've got an Outback. It's going to fit. And fortunately, this time, I listened to the voice in my head, grabbed a tape measure, went out to the car, and wouldn't you know, like this much too small to fit a four by eight sheet of drywall on the back of my Outback. And I'm starting to think, well, what if I do it this way? And I'm measuring that way. No, it's still just like this much too short. And then I'm thinking, well, maybe I can just get it to bow but not break. Then I'm imagining putting it on top of the car. And you're like, I can get Kirsten to hold her arm out one window and I can (laughs) strap it down. It's only two miles from Home Depot. You know what I wasn't thinking? And finally I did. And this is what conversations in my head sound like. Mr. Fakes. You know dozens and dozens and dozens of people. Your neighbors, your family, your friends have pickup trucks. Why don't you call one of the 500 people you know who would love to take a half hour, meet you at Home Depot, and get some drywall to your house? And it was hard for me. And I, every American, we just want to do it ourselves. But is that what really life is supposed to be like? So when I come talk to you after church, just realize, I don't want to deprive you of the joy of helping me. You know, the Bible says this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Share each other's burdens, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. You help somebody else, you help yourself. This is just the way God's made us. And your relationships will not be as healthy as they need to be, as they could be, until you learn this. 
I want to just maybe think about this at a little bit more at our church family level. I am so proud of you. Last Christmas, with COVID going on and people, some of them couldn't get to the, to the grocery store and some people just were coming home from the hospital, had loved ones in the hospital, you all put an amazing meal out there to our community and to our church family, a Christmas meal that we just delivered. I know some of you cooked and some of you delivered and some of you wrote encouraging cards and I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for those of you who put your hand up in the air and said, I could use this right now. This would be helpful to me. We did the same thing at Easter and we had so many stories come in from people who said, I really was blessed by this. I needed this. Thank you for doing that. That's the kind of thing that we just do for one another. I'm very proud of you that you were willing to stick your hand up in the air and say, I could use some help or I can help, either one. We have a ministry here at Connection called Helping Hands. I'd like to encourage you to think about being on one or both sides of Helping Hands. One, maybe you can just say, I'm willing to take a meal, some chicken casserole, a gift certificate to somebody who's just had a baby or been in the hospital. Or you'd be on the other side of it. We're kind of having a tough time right now. Could we get a meal or two? We'd love to help you with that. You just call the church office. And, and uh, so think about how can God use you, whether it's to rely on somebody or to be reliable. I think that's somewhere that maybe he wants us to grow and think about. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's talk about this in reference to marriage. I know not everybody's married. Maybe someday you anticipate being married. Maybe you're single, single again, thinking about it. Let me just talk about how this plays out. Dr. John Van Epp says, Research shows the most satisfying relationships are the ones where two people meet each other's needs. It generates cooperation, support, feelings of deep fulfillment. There's an assumption that meeting your partner's needs in some way meets a need within yourself. Not poking the bear here. I just want to ask you, if you are married or you're in a romantic relationship, serious relationship, how are you doing at meeting your partner's needs? That'd be worth some prayer time, some thinking today. Now, I want you to just maybe change perspective for a second. How would your, your partner say you're doing at meeting their needs? And, and I'm not trying to poke a bruise here. I'm not trying to start a fight. All I'm saying is, if you think that you're not going to get an A-plus on this, all you need to do is just go, it's time for me to try to raise the no level in my relationship again. Just spend some time today. It's even worthy of a conversation. Just ask your partner, how am I doing at this? I want to get better at this. It's okay. Because here's what I find. When you don't know what your partner's needs are, you can't meet them. Or maybe you just have a low trust level. Like I just don't believe that they tell me what they really need. Or you have a low commitment level. I just don't want to do what a relationship requires right now. Just being, honestly, just kind of selfish. This is an area to think about and work on if you want to improve your relationship. It doesn't have to be that complicated. It can get better. I love what the Bible says. If you Back to Philippians 2, where Paul said, have the main, same mindset as Christ Jesus in your relationships. You go back just to verses 3 and 4. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't only look out for your own interests but take an interest in others too. I think, well, how do we do that? Let's get real specific. The Bible gives some real clear instruction to married people. This is in Ephesians 5.33. This is also Paul. He says, I say again, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, first of all, I just got to clear the air here. You, you might read the word must there and go like, what? Why is he telling women what to do? It's not like that. 
He's just saying, if you want a healthy relationship, here's what you must do. He's not commanding. And I find it interesting, too. He doesn't say, husbands, you've got to love your wives. And then he doesn't turn it around and say, wives, you have to love your husbands. What he's actually pointing out here is there's a difference between spouses. And this is 2,000 years old, but it lines up with everything we find in our most current research. So this is what's interesting. Jeff and Shanti Feldhahn did a national study. It was extensive. It was called the National Study of Men. And they posed the question to a whole bunch of married guys. If you're faced with the choice of being alone and unloved or inadequate and disrespected, which one would you choose? To me, I'm like, neither. I don't want any of that. But three quarters, 75% of the men said, oh, this is easy. I would much rather be alone and unloved than to be disrespected. And I don't know if that comes as a shock to any of you, but I'm sure the whole lot of the guys in the room are going, yep, that sounds about right. I get it that there's 25% of the men who said the other side of it. My point to you women who are in a married relationship is you need to find out what your spouse would say to that. I'm just going to say 75% shot that your husband would much rather be unloved than disrespected, which means this is so easy for you to solve. Think of two or three things that you love about your husband and that you respect and admire about him, do that today, and then just find some time to either text it to him or just say it to him with full eye contact. And you go like, well, he's just going to say, well, you're just doing that because Brian said in the sermon. So we'll soak it up. We'll take it. We love it. It's awesome. (laughs) Jeff and Shanti Feldhahn did another study of women, and this is really interesting as well. The survey of women found this, 82%, 8 out of 10 women said they many times or sometimes feel insecure in their husband's love. When you say as a guy, I tell her I love her all the time. She should know. I said it when we said I do. I'm just telling you, this is what eight out of 10 women are saying. That sometimes, even though I know he loves me, I still feel insecure in his love. Guys, we can do something about that. It's in your wheelhouse to be good at this. You are very gifted at making your spouse feel accepted and loved and wanted. Again, it comes down to just eye contact. Tell your spouse some things that you could love about her. Um, You can do this. And again, it doesn't matter if I said you should do it. You're going to get the points regardless. You know, something I think maybe you ought to think about in your relationships, especially in the relationships where you're growing romantically, is that you want to spend some time together. Uh, Something that's been very helpful to Kirsten and I is we have a daily, or I'm sorry, a weekly. I'm not going to set the bar too high. A weekly date. Uh, where we, we just get together. And I remember, it doesn't have to be real complicated. Guys, you can take this if you want. We, every Friday before Kirsten would go to work, we'd stop for coffee. Back when the pandemic started, and we showed up at Starbucks and was closed, we literally went to QT, got the, the coffee there, chocolate-covered Long John, sat in a parking lot talking before she went into work. Just some time to connect. I actually want to help you. Our church wants to help you with this. If you're a parent with younger ones... We've got a date night planned for you on May 8th. You can drop your kids off here. We're going to have awesome food and a great movie. And you can just go out for a couple hours and you can talk about this stuff that we've been doing in this series and get a a new perspective on your relationship. We just want to help you grow to, to know each other, to love each other. We just want in every way just to bring the health and vitality that Jesus Christ wants for all of our relationships. You know, God knows what we need. And I would say this, just don't write this off. You say, well, my spouse is completely different than this. That's fine. It's your job to learn your spouse, not mine. So you know each other. You learn each other. You rely on each other. You trust each other. You commit to each other. 
and as I wrap this up, I want to tell you something that's very important. This is the, goes to the core of who I am and who we are as a church. When we talk about relying on each other, I want you to know that you can always rely on the Lord. And maybe you've had some stories and some things in life with maybe you feel like have taught you that you can't rely on the Lord. I would ask you to think about that again and open up your heart to maybe there's another aspect of that story. Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 16 that we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. And God is love. Whoever loves, live and lives in love lives in God and God in them. I want your identity to come from the fact that you are deeply loved by the one who created you. And he has so much good in store for you. Will you open your heart to him? Let's pray right now. Father, I'm so thankful that as many things in life have not always worked out well for us, and we've struggled and we've maybe gone through broken relationships, and that you are the one thing that we can always count on. You are consistent and reliable. We trust you. And we pray that you will just shower us with the love that you have, that you will teach us to love one another. I pray that this will be a day where things change truly for people and that we will just know that there is so much hope for our future. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.